Welcome everyone to Historical Shade, the podcast where Julie talks about stuff and I listen because that's this week. (laughs) Um, Yeah, welcome to Historical Shade, the podcast where Julie and I, depending on the week, tell you a shady topic in history or just a fun topic in history or things that like we are shady at. Speaking of being shady at a moment in history, we are still in self-isolation week. I'm on week six. Are you, you're on week six too, right? Yeah, I think we we isolated around the same time. Yeah. Um, so um, and our bodies are rejecting us. Oh, so mad. Yeah. My body, but also like my mind. Yeah. My um, my houseplant game is strong though. <laughs> I I minus two. Yeah. I found a a website that has great houseplants. And that's I'm, awesome and uh, yeah i'm gonna talk about that as my future life yep no, uh, you don't okay you don't get this yet this a is little, little taste a little mm-hmm. yeah, a little tease just a little slow sprinkle of salt I have, I, have, I, have, I, I have something to add on the houseplant category so i'm excited for that discussion <laughs> uh, side note kosher salt i recently learned that you can put it on chocolate chip cookies like just like a little just like a just a bit. like like the salt guy that goes like yeah delicious is that when you bake them after you bake them no right before you bake them just a little touch just a skosh uh well because what salt does is it like opens up the taste buds for everything else sure i learned that from working at a chocolate museum ah that's right mm-hmm those were the days speaking of the days (laughs) Alcyon days all right so today i am going to be talking about sojourner truth um (laughs) i got a lot of information from the sojourner truth project um so i highly recommend you head there and then um i also got information from um Come on, open up. I put it in a different place. Sojourner Truth, address at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. Um, Michael Phillips Anderson, Monmouth anniversary. Um, and some other various things. So, uh, oh, also the National Park Service. Oh. Yes, which also, if you have funds to spare, donate to them right now. I would say that if we were in self-isolation or not, I just, national parks made me so happy. And your state parks. Let's be nice to them too. Also, the post office and the first responders. Oh my gosh. How can I? (laughs) Sorry, listeners, we're going to go off the rails. I need to tip my post office woman or man, but it's usually a woman. I'm not like, it's usually a woman, but every once in a while it's a dude. Um, I need to give them money, but I'm not sure how to do it anyway because they've been doing they've just been like working their booty for me so you don't have just like a regular mailbox neither do i i can't eat i don't even have like i have to go find like a one of those like blue mailboxes on the on the street oh you don't oh yeah yeah i don't have like a mailbox mailbox and then if i leave it like out and like on the shelf that's weird 
here's the this is such a tangent and then we're gonna yeah get we'll it. get we'll get to it um so i i live in in somerville which is right outside of austin um mm -hmm. but the like ups and stuff they consider it like rural or they they basically consider it enough of a designation that certain packages that i order that are shipped via ups or fedex or whatever the last leg of it they'll actually ship it to the post office and put it in the post office's hands to deliver to me because they don't make money off of that like last leg of delivery so how many things have been lost <laughs> in that handout who knows? And I'm okay. sure they blame the post office. Yes. Um, anyway, new paragraph, no transition. I just got <laughs> my, my materials. Uh, so Sojourner Truth was born Isabella Bomfrey, and she was a slave in Dutch-speaking Ulster County, New York, in 1797. Her first language was Dutch. Then in 1827, a year before New York's law freeing slaves was to take effect, she ran away with her infant to a nearby abolitionist family, the Von Wagners, the Van Wagners, sorry. And let me be clear, there's, there's a lot of history uh, to Sojourner's Truth's life, and, and I very much encourage everyone to, to look that up and, and just a fascinating woman and, and very important to our history. Um, mm -hmm. So I just wanted to, to put that out there while it, while it feels like, wow, that was a big jump in time. Yes, <laughs> because the topic of my shade is later in her life. So the family, essentially, they bought her freedom for $20. Um, and they also helped her sue for the return of her five-year-old son, Peter, who had, who had been illegally sold into slavery in Alabama. So that in itself could be like an entire... Uh, shade about all of that and how she got that arranged. Mm -hmm. um, so in 1828, she moved to New York City, where she worked for a local minister. And by the 1830s, she was participating in religious rivals that were sweeping the state, and she became a very charismatic speaker. Um, so, so far, she's lived up north, Dutch is her first language, and she is becoming a speaker uh, in these revivals. Mm -hmm. And so in 1843, she declared that the spirit called her to preach the truth, and she renamed herself Sojourner Truth. And in 1844, she joined the Massachusetts abolitionist organization called the Northampton Association of Edu Education and Industry. So I think probably one of the things that she is most known for is um, a speech that she gave at a women's rights convention in 1851. So just out of curiosity, mm -hmm. if you were to think of that speech, what would be like a defining line that that you might say or you're staring at it's fine. Okay. Um, I was like, I was like, I know I know this and I know I've seen it on a billion bags at the strand. <laughs> well, cause cause you see it like referred to as the aren't I a woman? Yeah. Yeah. So there it is. Okay. I was like, I literally know there is a section at the Strand bookstore that's like yeah. Sojourner Truth quotes. <laughs> so she never said that. 
Okay. Um, that phrase that has like come to be the thing that represents her in the speech, it was constructed by Francis Dana Gage 12 years after the speech was given. Um, and so, so here's the thing. Basically, mm -hmm. there are two versions of this speech. There is the speech, the version that has pervaded popular culture where um, essentially what uh, Gage did was she, she took liberties so that the truth of what Sojourner said is there, but she took liberties to, to essentially make her sound like the slave that people would expect from history. Mm -hmm. um, the other uh, was delivered and transcribed by Marian, Marius Robinson, a journalist who was in the audience at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio on May 29, 1851. So one was written like, I, I think like a few weeks, maybe a few months, a few weeks after. The mm -hmm. other was written 12 years later and published. Um, so if you go to the Sojourner Truth um, project, you can see them like side by side. Yeah. And see the similarities but also the differences. Mm -hmm. So essentially, Francis Gage changed most of the words and falsely attributed this Southern slave dialect to the Virgin. Um, wow. But yeah, but it's clear that the origin of the speech does come from her original speech. Yeah. And it, it's, I think it's important to note that Marius Robinson, the, the preacher, he was mm -hmm. a preacher that transcribed this. He was friends with Sojourner Truth. And so it's documented that they actually went over his transcription of her speech before he published it. Mm -hmm. So he may not have like captured every word she said, but we can sort of assume like, oh, well, what, then when they talked, she may have helped him out. Or, but the point is that is the most accurate speech. Um, and this, this account was published in the anti-slavery bugle mm -hmm. and that was published on june 21st 1851 so a few weeks later and so i'm I, why why did it need to be republished by someone else if it was already published you know what i mean it wasn't like two people published it at the same time like they you know how we can all see the same news event and then a billion different newspapers report it but if it was already published once and like verified by the person who spoke it yeah so why does it yeah so it's interesting so a couple things so yeah. it it was published in this this anti-slavery uh, bugle which was like a, a very it was a local newspaper so mm -hmm. in that respect it wasn't necessarily distributed widely yeah. um the other thing is that every everyone that acknowledges and talks about um gage changing the words to this they they talk about it in the sense of like it was well intended um it was it, it was to serve the suffrage and women's rights movement at the time mm -hmm. although even then i'm like i don't understand how that served that but yeah that's sort of the the perspective there um but it's, again, it's, when you think about, she came from upper New York. Dutch is her first language. Right. And so her whole life, she, she has this low, low Dutch accent. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
for that reason alone, knowing that now and knowing mm -hmm. that history, it's it's easy to look at it and know like, oh, okay, obviously these these words were changed. And and she, you know, Frances Dana Gage, she was a white abolitionist. Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like by, I heard something that said, by today's standards of ethical journalism, and I'm like, oh, <gasps> Trump. <laughs> trash peach um but her her actions were a gross misrepresentation of sojourner truth's words and mm -hmm. her identity um and like what an authentic voice somebody yeah. that, like this dutch heritage that she had um and the other sort of like thing that comes out of that is by making her southern it's mm -hmm. sort of erases the fact that there is a slave history in the north as yeah well. and we need to not forget about that it's it oversimplifies it a little bit um yeah a lot actually yeah because <laughs> uh, there there is um from some well-intentioned people there's there's that well-intentioned of like well the south and slavery yes absolutely but you have to acknowledge that like the north is not the in the best yeah. position to throw stones um, Frances Gage admitted that her amended version had, quote, given but a faint sketch of Sojourner's original truth, but she felt it justified because she believed her version stronger and more palatable to the American public than Sojourner's original version. Okay, well, that didn't help you. <laughs> that doesn't, that, I don't like that phrase. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's the here's the interesting thing because mm -hmm. I don't know that I'd call this interesting. Here's the thing is that <laughs> I did this research, mm -hmm. which is out there. Like it, you there you could literally see like the microfiche or whatever of the um, transcript from the Daily Beagle. Mm -hmm. Daily Beagle. Oh my gosh! And then Spider Man comes in. <laughs> um, but as I was doing research on other websites, I was struck about how it's like they don't want to acknowledge that they were wrong or they don't, it's very interesting. So I, I have some like pull quotes mm -hmm. um, from like current websites about this. So the National Park Service's take says, quote, but wait, there is some controversy regarding Sojourner Truth's famous Ain't I a Woman speech. There are different versions. The popular Ain't I a Woman speech was first published by Frances Gage in 1863, 12 years after the speech itself. Another version was published a month after the speech was given in the Anti-Slavery Bugle by Reverend Marius Robinson. In Robinson's version, the phrase Ain't I a Woman is not present. Compare the two, compare the speeches and decide for yourself at the Library of Congress or the Sojourner Truth Project. National Park Service, I love you. But? No, I just, I just love them, that's all. <laughs> I, I love them too, but they're, they're putting the onus on the reader to figure out which is the true speech. 
Oh, see, I, I, I listened to, I wouldn't say I read it. I listened to it more like, isn't it fun to research history? Like instead, you know, I, I thought it was more like a call to action to do that in general with all things. You're sweet when you try. I know. <laughs> I just, I think that that would be like great from a teacher who then at the end of the lesson was like, let me reveal the truth. I'm yeah. They don't do that. In this. Oh, if You're they right. had links that were like, here are the two, see for yourself. I mean, they, they link to them, but at no point are they like, spoilers. <laughs> um, and then uh, at history.com, it says, in 1851 at the Ohio Women's Convention, Truth spoke out about, the equal, about equal rights for Black women. Reporters published different transcripts of the speech where she used the rhetorical question, ain't I a woman, to point out the discrimination she experienced as a Black woman. So history.com has like watered this shit down even more. Yeah. They're not admitting that ain't I a woman, there's question as to whether that was even said. Mm-hmm. And being very generous by saying like, there was question. Yeah. Um, but also they're like, there's the reporters published two different, tra- re- published different transcripts, but they didn't. One reporter tra- published a transcript and then 12 years later, yeah. Another version was published. So it's just, there's a lot of, and I think this is true of a lot of things where it's like, if you don't put in all the details, it's really easy. Oh yeah. To make this argument. Yeah. Um, and I think as, as I was like, seeing these like conflicting viewpoints of like, well, it's possible that she did say it in the Southern dialect. I found um, a quote of another speech she made and this one's from 1867. Mm -hmm. And she says, we want to carry the point to one particular thing and that is women's rights for nobody has any business with a right that belongs to her. I can make use of my own right. I want the same use of the same right. Do you want it? Then get it. If men had not taken something that did not belong to them, they would not fear. So I, I think you just, you, you hear that and it's, it's so articulate and mm-hmm. there's, there's more problematic. Um, mm-hmm. So one, one final passage that someone wrote, and I believe this is directly from the Sojourner Truth Project. And I think it just sort of breaks it down much better than I ever could, but it says, in the, in the text, in the true text, she comes across as brave, confident, and witty. Um, in the gauge text, essential features of her lived experience were masked by linguistic errors and historical inaccuracies. This created a Sojourner Truth who appeared less skilled as an orator and less confident in her own agency. The popularity of the gauge text has thus minimized Truth's rhetorical power and legacy. By changing Truth's words and her dialect to that of a stereotypical Southern slave, Frances Gage effectively erased Sojourner Truth's Dutch heritage and her authentic voice, as well as unintentionally adding to the oversimplification of the American slave culture and further the, furthering the eradication of our nation's Northern slave history. And that... Wowza is the truth, Ah. Sojourner Truth's 
famous speech. Yeah, that would be, that would be so weird if someone, so in Pittsburgh, uh, people, there, there are uh, people with a dialect and it's called like Yinzers and they're people that like have these very thick Pittsburgh accents. Um, I do not, I have like a little, a little one. Um, I, it comes out every once in a while, but it would be weird. They're called Yinzers because instead of like y'all, they say Yins. Huh. And so, but it would just be weird. Not that it's equivalent at all, but I'm trying to think of like, what would it feel like even if someone took like a speech I made and then put it in like Yinzer, I would be pissed. Cause I was like, that's not, yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh, but that's not what I yeah. sound like. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine being put into a box that she was not in, you know, for this quote unquote sake of the cause, which is like, I don't think that. Yeah. And, it, well, authenticity. and especially when it, when it comes down to it, it sort of seems like her, for the Gage's interpretation of for the good of the cause is like, I don't want people to be like, too yeah, too taken aback. But you know, when people are like, well, you're extra. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that version of that. I'm like, well, no, she, she has to be what people expect because if she's yes. not what they expect, then they won't be able to get past that. Yes. And they won't be able to see the truth of the, yeah. No, that's a, yeah. I think, I think it's very interesting that Gage thought that it was best for the cause to translate it in that way. Like I could understand because English wasn't her first language, that first moment of like her and her Marius, is that what his name was? Robinson, yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, I just, yes, yeah. I just remember Marius because of lameness. Um, but <laughs> like having that moment where maybe it's not a perfect transcription where they talk about it because maybe there are some like, you know, just, non-native like flubs and she's like yeah change that change that um but to completely change her yeah that's crazy i did not know that i yeah i didn't either and i yeah, yeah i, I more and more um you know i think when we first started doing this i was so excited at the prospect of all these things that we were going to uncover in history mm -hmm. but also more and more we are discovering things that we knew but we have learned wrong and mm -hmm. it's it's just what what information was presented to us um and yeah. I, I think that's you know a big part of what you always say about how history is written by the victors is history is written by the people that are in power and have the privilege yeah. Yeah. Um, like Benjamin Franklin, they found skeletons in his basement. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, yeah. When they did a recent excavation. So you never know. I don't have skeletons in my basement because I don't have a basement. But what I do have is houseplants. Laura, what is your future light? Um, my future light, so we're, we're hanging out in self-isolation, you know, so, um, my future, oh, see, I should have had something rigged up. I think my future light is that, like, not that I'm getting used to this, because it still sucks, 
but I'm, my, I think it's, I think my body, my mental state is starting to like equalize just a little bit. I think it's not like even I have to go grocery shopping tomorrow and I really, it's the first time I'm like making out a list that isn't like a disaster grocery list. It's just a grocery list where it's not like, okay, and then I need toilet paper and soap and seven cans of macaroni and cheese and four cans of spaghetti. It was like stuff I never eat, but for some odd reason when all this started, I just bought all of it. Um, and so I think there's just like slowly my brain is starting to go like, okay, so you need to get broccoli and you need to get chicken to bake and you need to like actually take care of yourself, you silly little monkey. Um, Cause then, you know, you're in self-isolation feeling like shit and you're like, oh, it's just self-isolation. Yes, that's part of it. That's depressing, but it's also, all the junk food that your body's not used to that you're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I think my, I'm just, I, my future light now that I've talked through that, thank you for coming on that journey. My future light is that I, I'm going to start getting back to like good, nutritious food. I'm excited. Yeah. What's yours, Julie? I know you're excited. Well, my future light is, um, I was feeling, so it's still fairly cold up here, um, mm -hmm. especially like in the mornings and, and the evenings. And so. <laughs> and I the days and the nights. <laughs> especially all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and I just like, it's hard for me to be outside because I wear glasses. And so when I have my face covered, my glasses get fogged up. Yeah. It's just a challenge. But I, I miss green, and so I found a website called The Houseplant Shop, and I'm obsessed with them. Um, I bought a couple plants, because it was like, they have like a sale section, so it's like $5 a plant. Ooh. For like a sapling or seedling or mm -hmm. seedling, whatever they are. A um, seedling. And so I, I just got those those couple, the, my like test, like, well, if you're going to spend money, let's check. And, and they just, they made me so happy and I have plants. And so now I want to see if I can get like some basil and catnip and like some edible plants for myself and, and my pets um, mm -hmm. and see what's next. But it's just, it, it makes me so happy to have greenery in the house. And mm -hmm. I don't know why this is the first time in my life I've done this. <laughs> oh, I love my plant. I have plants everywhere. I um, I love gardening. Uh, last week there is a local greenhouse that said that they would um do, like basically you would call ahead and then they'd put, like they have a little mailbox and you just put like they only do cash but put the you order and then they have the stuff out and then you put your money in there. So it's a very trusting system because they are just a very local, but they have the weirdest plants, like just the weirdest succulents and plants and everything. So I messaged them or I called them and I said, Hey, can I just get $30 of the weirdest succulents you have? And they're like, yeah. And so I got like 12 because they're just little ones, but then they grow and everything I've gotten from them no offense to to big stores but you know who you are anytime i've gotten succulents or plants from big stores they've died pretty quickly and every plant that i've gotten from 
this greenhouse has lasted like a year and a half and is like still going strong and growing and growing. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, I, I haven't ventured into like succulents and air plants and all of that, but maybe that's sort of like the next step if I yeah. get my regular houseplants under control. There, there is the element of um, all of my houseplants, if they have big leaves, I have to like individually white citrus on them. Um, and also I have like tin foil surrounding them because my cat is a butthole oh. and just eats everything. And all like, to be fair, like clear, all of my plants are pet friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm not going to make him sick. But man, but you don't want him to chew on them. Yeah, because he's making the plant sick if he does that. So yeah, it is. It is a process being a plant owner when you have Jason Vera cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I have about like five plants in every room of my apartment, and it just it's nice to. Oh, I love that. And it's better for your oxygen too, because it has like your. It's good for you, emotionally and physically. Well, that's good because I need it. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Um, hey, listener, I hope you're staying safe. Um, I hope you are staying happy. Um, I hope you have a whole bunch of future light, even if it's, you know, just your food that you're eating or the plants that you're looking at. That's enough. Um, and thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. underscore shade or Facebook at historical shade. We don't have a Twitter. Thanks, Julie.